Welcome to the Han Jam Rancho, the audacious podcast by Hannah Rankin. I am your host, Hannah Rankin, and I interview guests who have made bold moves to create positive change, be that personally or societally. My guests are collectively from a plethora of diverse backgrounds, and together we discuss a vast array of topics. If it is empowering and audacious, you will find it here on the Hanjam Ran Show. There are like a plethora of ways in which your relationship with money can be completely broken. And there are also like loads of different symptoms of that. Debt is one, not managing to save is another, not being able to bring yourself to spend money ever is another. So it's certainly not as simple as more equals better. For decades, women weren't financially independent and therefore were reliant on their husbands or fathers or masters even. And this is still the case in many parts of the world. But today in the West, while we are yet to achieve equal pay for equal work, we do have agency over how we spend our money. Apart from the psychological damage that the consumer-driven, advertising-led, patriarchal, capitalist society has done to us. But that aside, we have the potential to be in charge of our money. And yet, we don't seem to talk about it, or as a demographic, to understand what is best for ourselves. It took me a long time to even be ready to look at my relationship with money, but it is an area I'm trying to educate myself on. So when I found today's guest's profile, I was so excited to learn and to see a female-centric voice speaking out about finances and being rigorously honest about her debt and journey to financial stability. So today we have Claire Seal from My Frugal Year joining us on the show and what really drew me instantaneously to Claire is how openly she discusses finances in a way that I think is really both refreshing and so needed and I find that amongst groups of women in particular we just don't really have these open conversations about our finances Um, and within the platform that Claire's created there's a real look into the more emotional connection and sort of dysfunctional relationships that we can have with our finances um, and how that has repercussions on our mental health or how mental health can impact our relationship with our finances. So I'm really, really excited to jump in the deep end with Claire and welcome to Handjam Ranche. Hello, thank you very much for having me on. So we as is customary on the show, go through some audacious experiences. And um, I suppose my understanding of audacious is about breaking stigma, um, breaking down boundaries, defying the status quo or expectation. Um, And it's a spirit that I really celebrate and I feel is uh, an opportunity to empower both ourselves and others. And this is something that I felt resonated or you know um shone through the 
conversations that you've started really strongly. So thank you so much for coming on and for sharing with me your three audacious experiences that we're going to discuss today. And it feels very fitting to start with um, the first one you sent over, which is about setting up my frugal year, your Instagram platform. And talking about your own debt and money concerns, um, which initially started as an anonymous account. And I would love to hear about what led up to the moment of A, for you facing your debt, when you decided like enough is enough, I'm gonna look at this head on, which I'm sure was a very anxiety inducing moment. Um, And also what drove you to share that experience? Well, so I mean, the the first question is much easier to answer than the second one, because actually, sometimes I wonder, like, what, what drove me to decide to sort of stick it on Instagram and stick it in the public domain. And but as for your first question, I'm, I'm one of these people who had never had a very good relationship with money. I, my parents were divorced, and I grew up between two households with very different different attitudes towards money um which i think you know a, a lot of people of of my age have that experience so my dad was always naturally very frugal like you know shopping for pleasure was probably like just the furthest thing from his mind um you know if we ever went to our local shopping center he would have a, like a a plan of where everything was so that he could go and get the things and get out as quickly as possible um and then my mum is like me a real emotional spender um you know and so if things were kind of difficult at home growing up um because I, I didn't get on very well with my stepdad if things were difficult at home that's where we would go to like the local shopping center so it really became like a coping mechanism and a crutch for me um and it's not necessarily that's not some necessarily something that i worked out until quite recently actually when i was looking at, at you know how it had happened and, and what the patterns of behavior were um but yeah i had just had this real you know difficult relationship with money um for years and years and then um that kind of coupled with some big life milestones like um getting married having children moving house a few times just culminated in this like massive mountain of debt that I couldn't really sort of see or explain how it got there. Um, I always kind of describe it um, as, you know, when you travel to work and you're really, really tired and you get there and you sit down at your desk and you sort of have a vague idea that you got up and got to work, but you can't remember like the decisions that you made on the way there. You know, if you drive, you if you drove, you can't necessarily remember what route you took. Um, and that's a bit what it was like, sort of sleepwalking into this difficult financial situation. Um, and so it, it was March 2019 when I sort of realised that things needed to change. And it had been building up for a few months, like things were getting very stressful, very tight. And I was moving around kind of small amounts of money from one account to another trying to plug all of these gaps 
Um, and it just got to mid-March and I realised that I completely reached the end of the rope. There was no, I had no more leeway. There was just no money left. Um, and I had like quite a painful conversation with my bank. Um, but the advisor helped me, like she refunded some charges that sort of brought me just to within the safety zone. And I think that the combination of kind of realizing just how bad things were and also having someone there who would help me made me realize that I could turn things around. Um, yeah, so in like a very roundabout way, that's how I got there. And then I think with the, with the Instagram account, obviously I spoke to my husband um, about everything but um, apart from that I didn't really feel like I could talk about it so having kind of like an outlet was really cathartic but I I sort of thought that I'd get maybe like a couple of dozen followers who might shout at me if I bought too many lattes I didn't I didn't expect it to grow into the um into the community that it has and I'm really grateful for that yeah it's it's quite an incredible space with um as you said a community that seemed to be not only supportive of you but now of each other as well which is the beautiful side of the internet and social media yeah yeah I it's really interesting here you describing um you know those sort of sleepy journeys that you can't remember being as a as a metaphor of how you got into a position that you did um because I think there can be maybe a misconception that it's like a super flashy experience of just going out and like recklessly spending um whereas you know and there's well, I can only speak from my own experience with, and I've had a very complicated relationship with money myself, also stemming from like the environment that I was raised in, um, which was different to yours in that ours was just very unstable. It was very up and down. Um, and I don't want to air my parents' dirty laundry too much. <laughs> um, but Anyway, whatever happened at home. And then I ended up as a young adult having this relationship with money that I thought that money was really like this dirty thing that caused problems. And so I really rejected the idea of money coming to me. And so then as, you know, as a young adult in the professional world, I wasn't earning very much money. So I was living hand to mouth. But then, so then for me, if I did spend money, it, it had to come from this almost like, reckless place of like just take a deep breath and do it <laughs> like I knew I didn't have it but if I was going to I just had to sort of jump into the abyss of of financial instability in a way um but yeah it's interesting how there are different experiences and routes that can lead us to the same um I don't know terrifying place of having to face those repercussions yeah I, well I always say that there are there are like a plethora of ways in which your relationship with money can be completely broken um and there are also like loads of different symptoms of that you know debt is one sort of not managing to save is another not being able to bring yourself to spend money ever is another you know um and I think that sort of not having enough money is you know it's definitely a really common 
um, sort of symptom of having a difficult relationship with money but actually some people who do have quite a lot of money still have this real like push and pull relationship so it's certainly not as simple as sort of um more equals better um which is definitely something that i've learned you know that you can't, you actually can't out earn a difficult relationship with money um but yeah, I think it's it is it's really it's really really interesting, and I didn't realise until I started thinking about it and looking at it how complex it is for me and for other people. Yeah, do you have you noticed in your sort of uncovering and um, community building, there's a difference in the relationship between money, using huge stereotypes here, but between men and women. I mean, my community is like 96% women. So um, I don't know if that's because everything's pink or if it's because um, I, I do think that Instagram has become a bit of a safe place for women to talk about money because I, I think that actually often in more traditional arenas, there is this like idea that women still aren't necessarily like allowed to talk about money as much as men in some more traditional spheres so um you know i i think we worry about like maybe being shouted down or told that we don't know enough um so i think instagram's become a bit of a, a sort of safe place for that um and you know i think that quite often women do have a different relationship with money i think that um women are in still a bit of a triple bind whereby um you know first of all it's 2020 and we still earn less which is insane you know the gender pay gap is still at about 12 percent and um it's you know it's not shrinking quickly enough um basically and there was some recent research um published in the guardian that said that actually it it's opening up as soon as we graduate um, so it's not even something that happens, you know, as we start to have children or care for elderly parents or whatever, it's happening straight away. Um, but then the second kind of prong is that um, we are told from a really young age that there's something essentially like wrong with us in our natural state and then relentlessly flogged things to fix it. So, you know, sort of, you know, we're not thin enough. So diet products, our hair's not the right colour. So, you know, very expensive trips to the hairdresser every month or whatever it is. Um, but so much more than men still. Um, and then the kind of the last wraparound, the kind of catch 22, is that then there's this narrative of frivolous women who spend all of their money on their appearance. So we can't win. And I think sometimes that feels really heavy um and so i do think yeah i do think that women have a slightly different relationship with money to men i also feel like there's this attitude that it's unbecoming to want to be paid well as a woman it's like a bit vulgar to say you know i don't i don't know just to be to be interested and um uh driven by money um so yeah, to, I had a I have a mentor um, who had to say to me, money is just paper, like it cannot hurt you. <laughs> it's just something that facilitates.
things in your life and I was like okay paper I can handle <laughs> yeah I think I think that's definitely true and I think women are shyer about admitting that they want um that they want more money I think you know we're we're kind of um conditioned to sort of accept less I think in a lot of ways um but it's you know I, I think hopefully you know there are enough women out there talking about about those bigger figures to make it you know to start making it okay um but I I think the other thing that I'm a bit cautious of is that when when you get sort of women within that space talking about how much money they're making that they can sometimes it can sometimes make women who aren't making that much feel a little bit like their worth is tied to their earnings and that they're worthless so I think we you know like everything with money I think we just have to be a little bit cautious about the way that we the way that we discuss it and I'm I'm certainly not saying that it's not fine for women to sort of be open about being motivated by money or wanting to make more I just think it's really important that we keep the context of you know it's it isn't the be all and end all and it isn't like your salary or your earnings is is like one of many many numbers about your life um and then it can't it doesn't define what you're worth as a person mm, for sure and it kind of almost feeds back into an earlier point you made about how capitalist society ex- use it exploits our insecurities or creates insecurities to make us spend more so it is that really vicious (laughs) cycle of robbing us robbing women um or female identifying people of the yeah the stability of self-love and and for their own benefit for the system's own gain and that's why i say like loving yourself is actually the most radical thing you can do to defy all those you know advertisements that just constant bombarding of telling us that we are less than um so yeah it's really interesting how it's like so multifaceted and multi-directional yeah absolutely (laughs) as something that Sophie Hagen talks about really really well um is the kind of the effect of capitalism on like sort of female self-worth um and I think it's really she's talking about it in the context of kind of like the fat positive movement but it's really it was very eye-opening for me listening to her talk about that it was on a podcast I think Mm. yeah it is eye-opening and it's a it's a constant a constant battle you know one day you might feel like you've got it sussed and the next day it could be a whole different situation so always a work in progress um and I think it's quite understandable given all of those sort of stigmas we've just discussed about why you wanted initially to keep your identity anonymous what was the process um and journey and how did you end up coming to a place where you decided you wanted to reveal the identity behind my frugal year I think as soon as I realized that the account was sort of gaining 
traction and that people were interested um and also that more people were in that situation because when i started the account i felt completely alone um and the more that i realized that i wasn't and the more people were engaging the more i felt like it was inevitable that at some point i would ditch the anonymity because actually a big part of my message is that you know it's having difficulty with your finances not anything to be ashamed of you know whether it's whether it was things outside of your control um or things were that were you know decisions that you made that's that were the reason why you've ended up where you are um you know i think i think we stigmatize mistakes made with money much more than we do mistakes made in a lot of other areas of our life um at, but at the same time i think you know speaking for myself but also for a lot of the people that i've spoken to you know i've always known that i was quite bright and i was able to manage responsibility really well in other areas of my life in like work looking after sort of two young children you know in my family relationships but this was just one thing that i struggled with so yeah i i really started to feel quite passionate about ending stigma around debt and i felt like if people could see somebody talking about it and putting their name and their face to it without like cowering in a corner that maybe that might like embolden them to feel less ashamed and therefore to take the ball by the horns and start to deal with things yeah i can imagine that being true entirely and as the account kind of gained much more traction than you anticipated how did that how did that snowball and what was that experience like you know you said you kind of expected like 20 people to follow and suddenly you're in the tens of thousands how what was that journey i mean it was totally it was totally bizarre um i don't think i really sort of thought much into it until publishers started getting in contact and then i was like oh maybe this is like life-changing stuff um and so yeah i it i sort of at first it was quite like exciting thinking that people cared about what i had to say definitely and then i've definitely gone through periods of feeling very very exposed as well um and you know then suddenly there were decisions to make like you know uh, um are my children ever going to be on my instagram and the answer to that was kind of like no their faces and names what you know won't because seventy thousand people is a lot of people um and just you know it, it was yeah it was really sort of bizarre and it again it's it sort of feels like it's a bit it's a bit like a baby the instagram account because it sort of feels like i can't really remember a time when i didn't have it now um but yeah it's it was it was very very strange um to suddenly have something to say that people wanted to listen to i suppose yeah wow it's a cool a cool um eventuality from your honesty and 
there, there's something that you discuss quite regularly on there, um, which is mindful spending. And I wondered whether you could tell us a bit more about what that means. Yeah, so I think a lot of us can sort of identify with a feeling of like, that we don't know where our money's going. And I certainly felt like that for a long time, like that everything worked on paper, but then all of a sudden it was like the 18th of the month and there was no money left. Um, and I think that a lot of us spend without really noticing. Um, and, you know, everything about shopping, whether it's online or in person is, is kind of geared towards having the least amount of friction possible. So the least, you have to make the least amount of decisions before suddenly you've bought something. Um, so, you know, the fact that you can shop directly in Instagram now and all of this stuff, it's removed loads of stages where you might have decided not to go ahead and make the purchase. So mindful spending is essentially putting all of that stuff back in. So putting the judgment and the kind of decision making back in um, that's been taken away by kind of the e-commerce industry. Um, so it is just, uh, I sort of, I got quite often talk about emotional spending as a cycle. So, um, you know, and, and it's a, a, a kind of cycle that repeats. Um, so you kind of feel rubbish, buy something, feel better for a moment but then you get the financial consequences of having bought it um and then you feel rubbish again and then you're more prone to overspending so um that that's kind of how it works if you just leave it on its own but if you try and implement mindful spending what you end up with is more of a circuit and this is something that i've kind of really gone into in the journal that's coming out next month um, is kind of what questions can you ask yourself at every stage of making a purchase to make sure that you're not going to have that buyer's remorse and you're not going to continue the cycle so things like um, you know before you even start browsing like am I in the right frame of mind to be shopping um, and then before you buy something kind of uh, am I do I need or want this or am I just trying to feel like a void and make myself feel better um and then even after you've got it, it even after it's been delivered you know in a lot of cases you're you're still able to return it so kind of asking yourself like do I regret it or, and and do I actually still want this because then you've got the opportunity to get your money back and then you can forget about it rather than it becoming kind of clutter in your house and in your head. So, um, yeah, I, mindful spending, I think, is is a real sort of key part of being able to, like, stick to a budget and have a sense of, like, financial stability and well-being. Mm. When you were speaking then, there's actually a lot within that cycle that you described that resonates with me and my experience with addiction it's like you have this we i call it the hole in the soul and mm. it's ugly head you feel crappy and then you fill it with something that is gonna make you feel better for about 0.3 seconds and then the thing that you filled it with makes you feel worse and you know 
rinse and repeat so it's it's interesting but then there's almost more complexity I think with things like spending money or or with food where there are things you you cannot abstain from in entirety in its entirety whereas for me alcohol and drugs I can put to one side and never need touch again but when it's something that we have to do on a daily basis it probably takes more work to um yeah find a healthy way of utilizing those those parts of modern life rather than allowing them to control us or be destructive yeah absolutely and actually when I spoke to I spoke to a psychology professor um for uh real life money um for the memoir and um he said that actually you know a, a lot of psychologists him included are pretty much convinced that um compulsive buying disorder is a form of addiction but it's just not classified as that because there aren't enough high quality studies for them to for them to say that so you know there are loads it does have loads of things in common um with the addiction cycle and also you are right you can't just opt out of using money um Mm. in the same way that you can opt out of using alcohol or drugs and uh, another parallel that you just drew between kind of money and food i think loads of people have uh, a parallel between their relationship with money and their relationship with food i certainly do and it's something that i hope am like still sort of sifting through at the moment so um yeah i think i I don't think that people realize how many different corners of your life money has its tentacles in (laughs) um because i think often we just treat it as this separate entity like we have our life and then we have our money but actually it's it's everywhere um the same as a lot of things yeah Oh, there's so much there. As you said, there is, it's so insidious and, you know, there are things like Klarna or, or like pay later schemes that are, and then even, you know, you're we're talking about e-commerce, but even in the shop, you know, when you get to the, to the, um, cash desk, the, when you're paying and you've got all these bargains around you and these bright numbers that seem less than they are and I'm a sucker for that I'm like yeah go on um but I thought it would be interesting um to hear your opinion on any trends you've seen emerged in the wake of you know 2020 and the monstrosity that is COVID because I think there's more financial insecurity than ever we don't know what is coming next whether we have a um you know a stable salary i say in inverted commas that's even up in the air at the moment um furlough schemes we don't know if, if that's going to remain if it's going to be 80 percent or 60 percent and yet because of all this uncertainty as we just discussed there's I, I mean i certainly at the start of lockdown number one bought so many little trinkets to sort of brighten up the space that I was spending 18 hours a day in, um, which, yeah, makes me feel a bit ill about like, you know, very expensive, teeny tiny scented candles that are gone in a flash (laughs) or fancy hand creams or whatever. Um, 
So yeah, that is a really long way of asking you about any trends that have emerged in the wake of 2020. I mean, I think that a lot of people's financial behaviour and their awareness of their finances just completely like metamorphosized this year. So um, I think that a lot of people who've never experienced financial insecurity before are now feeling very precarious for the first, you know, like maybe for the first time ever. And I think the thing that people just need to be careful of there is that, you know, sort of burying your head in the sand um, because it's not something that you want to have to deal with I think it's really important to go in with your eyes open but yeah I think you know some people are sort of quids in aren't they because if you're still working from home and you're you don't have any travel costs and you're not socializing it can be really easy to save um, you know and there were some stats earlier on in the year that said that, you know, uh, Brits were paying off debt at a rate that they'd never paid it off before. Um, I had a lot of people in my community saying that they were managing to save. And then obviously on the flip side of that, there were people whose income had been reduced or disappeared altogether. But then actually as things went on, and especially when everything opened up again in the summer, I think that even people who had benefited financially were then finding themselves overspending to like compensate make up for lost time or to try and keep the economy going because obviously that was a big message from the government was like you know shop to save the local high street um or whatever when actually that's not like our job (laughs) um that's it's the job of the government to make sure that that's all right um so it's I, I think it's really shone a light on the complexities of personal finance. And, you know, there's certainly a lot more talk about it and a lot more chatter. And one of the positives that I hope might have come from it is people being able to talk a bit more openly about it. But I still think it's just one of those things that particularly British people really struggle to talk about. Um, yeah. You know, and if talking about money is difficult, then talking about financial difficulty or debt is is even more kind of stigmatized. Um, but yeah, I think also, like you saying about um, pay later schemes earlier, and I know that they have had an absolute boom um, during lockdown and the pandemic, as loads of places have pivoted to online, um, and that's something that haunts my dreams um, I think it's a real disaster waiting to waiting to happen for a lot of people yeah um okay time to move on to I think it actually works quite nicely to move on to your second audacious experience while we're talking about the land of work and moving from a job that by your account was making you miserable to go freelance and this is this is a a step that I have also taken although my hand was forced because I was too ill to work so Mm -hmm. I lost my income and then as I regained some strength I was fortunate enough to start working freelance just as I sort of could handle it Um, but the reason I raised that is just because I know that then there's this whole new plethora of learnings required to manage your 
income, your rates, your invoicing and all of that rigmarole. So what, how did you learn to manage all of the things that come into earning when you're freelance? I mean, I very much sort of learned as I went along. And the reason why I made the leap was because I was offered kind of like 12 weeks freelance work with my previous company. So um, I was like, you know, it's sort of now or never really. I'm probably not going to get this opportunity to make the leap again. Um, And I was so unhappy um it was quite a new job and it wasn't what I thought it was going to be and it was a really quite a long very like traffic laden commute and I was constantly panicking that I was going to be late to pick up my children from nursery and my son was about to start school in the September um and I was just so anxious and the, the day that I realised I needed to quit, was, I was so anxious that I wasn't really concentrating and I drove into the back of somebody um, and I just was like, that's, you know, I can't do this anymore. Like I'm, I'm not really functioning. Um, and it just sort of felt like kismet that this new opportunity came up. So um, I was like fortunate in that I had a block of work um, to kick off with. But I think, um, yeah, I, I actually just, again, like it was sort of people in the community on Instagram that, um, sort of, you know, taught me or that the information that was out there taught me how to manage things freelance. Um, and I think there are loads of really great sort of tools out there to help you manage like digital tools as well so I kind of asked a friend who was already working freelance um, and it seems to have worked out okay Um, but it is I think dealing with like the ebb and flow of money um, when you're freelance is something that you have to get used to and I'm quite fortunate in that my husband has like a good steady salary as well so we've always had that kind of backup um to you know at least part of our income's still steady um but yes it's been okay so far I think a lot of I think a lot of being freelance is sort of feeling like a little bit precarious anyway but then you know as has been proven you're not necessarily completely secure in an employed position so totally and now more than ever unfortunately Mm. um I think it speaks to the, I don't know, I don't want to say progress, but the shift that you've had in terms of dealing with your own finances that you are able to, to manage being freelance, because I think it forces you to like manage the um, spread out, the spread of your money, because you could have quite a good paycheck one month and then none, the next so you have mm. to be strict with yourself um to ensure that it's gonna drip feed you all the way through just in case <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely definitely um so you mentioned then your husband and this was um your third audacious experience which I 
found you know super exciting to read I love hearing stories like this and I, I have a friend who experienced something very similar but in your own words you had a baby at 25 with your boyfriend of just a few weeks and now you've been married and you have two children if I'm right yes seven years so congratulations on your happy ending thanks <laughs> thank you um yeah so I mean we we had been we had only been together for a few weeks when I found out that I was pregnant um we'd actually we went to university together and were sort of pretty good friends and then it we, it was sort of like the typical thing of everybody was like nudging us um and both of us were like no no never gonna happen and then it did but yeah obviously we were kind of in this like first throes of sort of being together and then this massive um sort of baby shaped spanner got thrown into the works um and you know that that baby is six <laughs> now um but um yeah it was i i mean i think the the complicating factor for me was that I do have a medical condition that made it less likely that I was going to be able to have children and um it was so it was sort of a mixture of I'd just been through this diagnosis and um was like gutted devastated because I'd always imagined a future with children um and then uh this happened not long after so it was kind of a combination of like oh god what are we gonna do but also sort of like a, it felt a bit miraculous so mm. you know that was kind of we, we had to like really rush to like sort of patch together a family when we were only just used to it being the two of us so you know obviously it's worked out fine in the end but sort of the pressure of like childcare fees and maternity leave and finding a place to live together you know it was real baptism of fire for us um and you know I think we're sort of reaping the rewards of that now in that we've been through some very difficult times and got through them um and so now things are a bit easier we're able to sort of enjoy things a bit more um and like you said we have a second child now who's uh just gone two in july um so we've made like a a sort of a family from sort, sort of daring to uh you know to take sort of a, a hard road i suppose in the beginning yeah i mean it's we don't we don't we don't none of us have a crystal ball so we don't know what's going to come next but it's it's a great example of sort of riding the waves and reaping the rewards as rewards as you said um but i'm you know carrying on the theme of finances i'm sure there were so many big conversations that had to be had arguably prematurely perhaps like earlier than you than we may naturally have them when you find out that you're pregnant um but finances must have been one too like you suddenly have to be really <laughs> honest and talk about blending those circumstances and those are conversations that can be awkward and difficult no matter how long you've been together so I can only imagine what that was like 
yeah I mean it was it was a lot and it was a lot of pressure on my husband to find a job that um you know that earned enough and it it kind of pushed him down a career path that he might not have perceived otherwise um you know he works in hospitality and he's incredibly good at his job he's a department head um now but it's still very long antisocial hours and actually you know one of our financial goals is at some point for him to be able to you know make a move or retrain so that we can have more time together um as a family but um yeah it was you know we had to have those conversations quite early on and I think that you know because so much happens in such a short space of time we were constantly sort of like okay well things will be all right when x happens things will be all right when y happens you know we'll be more financially secure by this time or whatever and and then it sort of meant that when we came to like a real pinch point we'd probably been doing quite a lot of wishful thinking and we had to be realistic um and so you know there weren't really ever any secrets but money was sort of the elephant in the room that we didn't really necessarily talk about or we just kind of reassured one another that things would be all right eventually um but actually you know again since um we sort of started this like journey with um our finances it's you know we've been sort of in it together from day one so um you know we talk much more openly about things now and it feels a lot lighter definitely that's awesome I'm pleased for you both so before we jump into the quick fire questions I wondered if you could sum up a couple of key learnings from your frugal year although that's now 18 months ago. <laughs> yeah and it's it's weird because it was sort of like an arbitrary uh name and, and it just came from the fact that I was like right for, for at least a year I really need to cut back um and now it's sort of synonymous with me which I always find really quite strange um but yeah I think the first one is um, that money can't buy you happiness, but financial difficulty can make you really miserable. So um, the key thing is about kind of, it's not about like amassing as much wealth as you pro- possibly can. And it's not about spending, like there's no tomorrow. It's about finding like a balance and equilibrium um, and having a sense of financial well-being, whatever that means for you. Um, So that's definitely kind of the first one. And the second one, I go back to what I said before, which is that you can't out earn a bad relationship with money. So you can't, it it, sometimes um, you just need to go back and like really reevaluate things from like a a base level, Um, you know, that actually earning more isn't going to solve your problems you're still going to have this toxic relationship with money um you know and or the the third thing I would say is that like a budget is not 
um, like your enemy and it's not something that you just go on intermittently to try and kind of deprive yourself enough that you can afford something that you want. It should be something that you live with um, and that, you know, actually all a budget is, is knowing what's coming in, knowing what's going out and knowing what you're going to do with what's left. Um, it, you know, it's just having a plan for your money. Um, and I'm not a naturally organized person, but it does, you know, if you, if you sort of practice hard enough, it does become habit. Great advice. I definitely downloaded a budget in the summer and have, I started filling it in and then I was like, next month I'll use it properly. And then I was like, Ooh, this is a bit, a bit hairy. I'm not sure I want to look at this. So I will take that advice and apply it in my own life. So thank you. Um, okay. So I ask all of my guests the same six questions to conclude each episode. And if you're okay, I will jump into those now. Yeah. Go for so it. The first one is what's the first thing you do when you get up? Oh, usually like sling my phone uh, over to my two-year-old so that I can get five more minutes sleep. Um, but so after I'm actually out of bed, I make a coffee. I can't, can't get up without one. Love it. Um, what action feels most like prayer to you? And um, by that, I mean, what thing that you do makes you feel most connected to your best self? definitely yoga so and I find it really hard to do at home um I have a studio that I go to that's obviously closed at the moment but I find when I enter that room I can leave everything else outside and just be like myself and still in the moment and have quiet in my head it's like a magical magical place oh that's so special to have that sort of safe space to relax mentally and physically okay in your opinion what is the most audacious thing you've ever done uh probably te like telling the world who I was <laughs> um that felt quite audacious and very overexposing but I'm used to it now <laughs> <laughs> that's good was it like what what was that moment like were you with your husband were you sweating <laughs> yeah well I was just it, obviously it was lockdown so I was just in my house which wasn't how I expected it to go down I mean I didn't really have anything to distract myself from it so yeah it was quite jittery um I was like had my thumb poised over the send button for ages um and then actually the response was so positive that it was just really nice yeah I'm glad that was how it was received and from an outsider looking in I couldn't have imagined it be any other way it seems like your gang is all very supportive um so I'm glad it went well for you <laughs> thank you what commitment are you going to make to yourself for this coming week? Um, this week, I am going to try and slow down a little bit. I've been working at kind of 100 miles an hour for as long as I can remember. And I was supposed to take the week off last week, but it didn't happen. So tomorrow afternoon, I'm not doing any work. Um, and I'm going to try and slow down for the next week as well. Good on you, I hope. 
I hope that works out. I've um, been trying to do the same. I've had a couple of weeks off because I was supposed to be abroad. Obviously not. Um, but I'm, as I get older, I just seem to be more of like an overachiever and just want to like get more and more and more and more and more done in a day. Um, so I've been talking a lot about resting with purpose and really, I don't know, I feel like now I'm trying to overachieve with rest, but <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a worthwhile endeavour. Um, okay, when was the last time you felt fearful and how did you handle it? Um, I think, I mean, when you're, uh, I, so I'm, I'm just about to launch um, like a new business digital platform for um, all of the conversations that I've been having on Instagram. Um, and I, you know, at various points during the last week have looked at it and been like, God, who, like, who do I think I am? How am I supposed to do this? Um, and had that real kind of jolt of fear. And do you know what the best way I've found to deal with it is to kind of look at what I managed to make out of essentially the most difficult situation I've ever been in and think, you know, I definitely, if I can do that, I can do this. For sure. Um, I was going to ask you about the platform. It's called the Financial Wellbeing Forum. Yeah. What is it bringing to the world? Yeah, that's right. So um, I am hoping to get it live this weekend. It's very nearly there. Um, it's going to be a soft launch to begin with um, and we're just going to grow it. But it's going to be essentially a forum for um, long for more long form content about financial well-being. There'll be opinion pieces from me, from other people, and it's going to be really getting under the skin of some of the things that we don't necessarily talk about around money. So just to give some examples, kind of, you know, the gender pain gap and how that affects our finances, um, you know, uh, how um, sort of living as a trans person can affect your finances, just loads of undiscussed um, kind of topics around money and then um, some, you know, practical advice as well there's going to be some downloadable tools and also um, before too long there will be some courses as well um, and yeah I'm just hoping that it's going to really grow into like a hub for people to go for anything to do with their financial well-being essentially. Well, that sounds beautiful and we're very excited to see the soft launch and yeah we'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes amazing thank you last question my dear is where is your happy place um i mean i am really really privileged to live literally just across the road from the most spectacular view um so previously my happy place was stourhead um because it is just so it's national trust park um about an hour from where we live it's beautiful and it's where the kira knightley version of pride and prejudice was shot you know when they're kind of like moving around that um that building um so it's 
is that's always been my happy oh. place but at the moment because we can't really go anywhere all I have to do is step kind of 200 yards outside my front door and I've got this amazing view across kind of the like north Somerset countryside and um, so that is my happy place at the moment that's where I go to like breathe deeply and think about things that's sounds very beautiful and um it's incredible having asked that question you know 30 plus times at this point it's amazing how much nature comes up for every single person it might it might be like with my kids in nature or <laughs> in the ocean or in the trees but there's always some element of outdoors and yeah it's a, a very special place out in the big wide world um I did say that was my last question, but I also want to ask you about your next book. When is that out? Oh, yes, it's out on the 17th of December and it is um, like a follow up to Real Life Money is the workbook for you to fill in. So um, it's I mean, it's full of like prompts and helpful tips and advice um, and it's very guided. But it is something is a book that you do rather than a book that you read. Perfect, just in time for January with the hangover from Christmas. <laughs> oh, look forward to having a read of that too. Thank you so, so, so much for coming and sharing both your story and um, your words of wisdom to help all of us become more financially stable and content. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Hannah.